welcome to Toho Yaro, a monthly Japanese movie club podcast. Uh, I'm Joey Weiser, and with me are the usual co-hosts, Scott Dryman. Hey, Scott. Hey, Joey. How's everybody doing? Good. And Alex is here. Hey. This is episode five, covering 1977's House. Yeah, we all just saw each other a week or so ago, which was pretty cool. We did. At SPX. Yeah. Yeah, was, so the great. Toho guys have dined together, shared some Korean rice wine. Pretty good. <laughs> it was fun times. We're officially a, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it's done. Um, all right, so let's get into it. I'm really looking forward to talking about this uh, movie with you guys. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think I took <laughs> more notes during this episode than I took for any uh, movie that we've watched so far. Yeah, same. Yeah, um, same all right, so getting started, let's talk a little bit about the director, uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi. Um, he was an experimental film and uh, TV commercial director before house experimental um, you don't say yeah <laughs> yeah yeah one of his films um the name escapes me at the moment but is included in the um criterion dvd which is pretty cool um and it's just sort of a lot of sort of uh as you can imagine non sequitur uh, information and stuff like that um this is also the man behind the crazy mansum commercials uh <laughs> starring charles bronson which i had seen kind of floating around the internet from time to time uh, Charles Bronson riding around on a horse and uh, spraying himself with with a deodorant and stuff. <laughs> pretty pretty great. Um, he went on uh, from House to a successful film career, uh, creating a variety of films. He's actually made some like pretty straightforward uh, films later in his career. And the of the two the two that I've seen are both manga adaptations, um, School in the Crosshairs and Drifting Classroom. And they definitely, uh, those are both from the 80s, and they definitely have a little bit of that sort of house flavor where it's some sort of crazy scenes, but they are not uh, 100% nuts <laughs> through and through. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think nothing that he's made has, uh, can quite match house uh, in its unique quality. Mm-hmm. Um, Otherwise, uh, let's let's talk about the actors for a second. There's a big cast, uh, so I'm going to kind of just run down them real quick. Um, I'm going to choose the the most notable actors. I'd say uh, are the uh, the seven girls. Uh, Gorgeous is played by Kimiko Ikegami. Fantasy is uh, Kumiko Oba. Uh, Kung Fu is played by Miki Jinbo. Prof is played by Ai Matsubara. Mac is Meiko Sato. Melody is uh, Eriko Tanaka, Sweet is Masayo Miyako, and a few of the other characters. Mr. Togo is Kiyohiko Ozaki, and uh, Ryoko Emma, who's Gorgeous's to be stepmom, who has a full name, is the only character given a full name for some reason, uh, is Haruko Wanibuchi, and the uh, aunt, the auntie, uh, is Yoko Minamita. Um, most of the cast are people that Obayashi knew otherwise and uh, are several, most of them are inexperienced actor, actresses uh, and models that appeared in his commercial work. Um, 
of the that cast, Kimiko Ikigami, who plays Gorgeous, was uh, pretty experienced uh, acting in TV dramas, and she's had a, a sustained career, uh, mostly acting on TV. And the most experienced actress, for sure, was uh, Yoko Minamita, who plays Auntie. And she um, was, knew Obayashi previously from working in commercials with him, but also has had a career, a, a large film career. She's appeared in 140 films, uh, including one I've seen called Voice Without a Shadow, uh, which is kind of a cool Hitchcockian thriller, uh, which is included in Arrow Video's first um, Nikatsu Diamond Guys collection. Mm. Um, and mm. it's neat to see her kind of as a young actress playing sort of a innocent lady uh, on the run from a killer and stuff, rather than this case where she's <laughs> <laughs> definitely more uh, menacing. Um, and then another interesting note is that Mr. Togo, uh, uh, who's played by Kiyohiko Ozaki, was a country music uh, country music singer who was just simply friends with Obayashi through their mutual hobby of riding horseback. Huh. Cool. Yeah. So I think a lot of when you read about the cast and stuff, it's a lot of that like so so and so who appears in this scene was a producer or you know things like that. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, after the synopsis. So getting to the synopsis. Um, you know, this movie, I think we can all agree, uh, is a lot more about how the m- film is made rather than the plot itself. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I want to run through the plot. And then if we want to sort of sit on a scene and talk about it a little bit, we can. Uh, or we can just get to it after uh, I, I run through it, too, in our critiques and stuff. But uh, uh, the movies. A... Oh, oh, go ahead. Say, as a preface to the synopsis, this is one of the most like visually dense movies I've ever seen where so much is going on in every single scene uh, that like you could probably do an entire podcast series kind of like Star Wars minute style where you just go through (laughs) one minute of the film every week or something but uh, yeah there is an incredible amount going on that that's not going to get represented in the synopsis we can go back to some of that later oh yeah Yeah, this movie you definitely don't want to like watch while you're I don't know playing on your phone or whatever You're, (laughs) you're going to miss something yeah, and a lot of it is actually like relevant plot information. I think through seeing it several times, I've kind of gotten a more solid idea uh, of what the movie's about and stuff than than the first time I saw it through. Um, the movie centers around seven schoolgirl friends uh, who all have descriptive nicknames. Uh, there's Gorgeous, who is very beautiful. Fantasy, uh, kind of her best friend, who's uh, imaginative. And then uh, Kung Fu, a tough and athletic young lady. And uh, Prof, who's studious. Mac, which is short for stomach, uh, and she loves food, and it's supposedly, quote-unquote, the fat one, uh, which <laughs> just means she has a sort of rounder face yeah. than the rest of them. Um, Melody, who plays music, and Sweet, who has a very sweet and kind personality. I thought that, um, um, at first I thought that Mac was named after like, Maku, like like McDonald's. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, I think they call, they call it Makdo, though, in Japan. Yeah, yeah, I, and yeah, and sometimes uh, call it by the full name, which is kind of a mouthful uh, in in katakana. But uh, yeah, that's uh, from what I've seen, and they they sort of mention it briefly in the movie that it's short for stomach. She has a big stomach. Um, so summer break is coming up, and the girls are planning a trip. Six of the friends uh, will join their quote unquote hunky teacher, uh, Mister Togo, who I think it's hilarious that he's being depicted this way because he's so doofy, but he's got big <laughs> sideburns and a dune buggy, which I guess makes him appealing yeah. to the ladies. I wrote down, uh, <laughs> under Togo, I wrote down Sideburn City <laughs> in my notes. So they're going to Togo's sister's inn uh, for the summer. 
uh, for some sort of training camp thing. And uh, but Gorgeous will go with her film composer father to his villa. Um, however, she is upset when he introduces her to his new fiance, um, Ryoko Emma. And um, Mr. Ko- Togo uh, informs the girls that his sister is about to have a baby and can't host them. And this gives Gorgeous an idea. Why don't they all go visit her auntie? Uh, Gorgeous's deceased mother um, has a sister who lives back in their hometown. And so she writes to her auntie. Uh, I'm going to probably switch between auntie and auntie because it's not a word that I typically <laughs> say. But uh, to uh, So she writes to the, to the aunt to ask to come. And suddenly a f- fluffy white cat appears in her bedroom. Um, her... Uh, aunt uh, invites them to stay, and they depart. Uh, Ryoko, uh, Gorgeous's future stepmom, also plans to join them later in the trip. However, uh, like Mr. Togo is is also going to be joining them, but he's tripped by the cat and falls down some stairs, falling right into a bucket in a totally hilarious and crazy <laughs> scene that's like sped up and the bucket is like zooming around the street, dodging cars and things. I want to talk about this scene for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. First of all, uh, holy shit, this song. Like yeah. the song that's playing uh, is amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, English pop, yeah. English language pop music. Yeah, we can, um, we can we can delve into you know the music later because I definitely want to yeah. talk about the music. The soundtrack is so dense. Um, yeah. But the bucket scene's amazing. Uh, the Shoemaker who has like the mm-hmm. pipe in his mouth with, with his yeah. granddaughter or whatever. That's, that is my favorite part of the entire <laughs> sequence. <laughs> like, yeah. When... It sets up such a weird, like that's where I really feel like the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, this is going to be something I've never seen before. Cause just, if just this sort of setup scene is this crazy, like we haven't even gotten to the haunted house, you know, it reminded yeah. me of uh, happiness of the Katakuris. Hmm. Uh, which is, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's Takashi Miike's uh, uh, zombie musical. Oh, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, yeah, we will definitely touch uh, more on this this kind of stuff. Uh, Mr. Togo uh, calls to let them know that he has to go to the hospital to, I guess, <laughs> remove the bucket from his butt. Um, and, <laughs> and he'll join up with them later. Um, on the train, uh, which is also an amazing scene, uh, Gorgeous and her friends talk about uh, the auntie's past. Um, this is really interesting, uh, shot in an interesting way where as they're describing the scene, we get this sort of like grainy footage of a flashback, but whereas you typically see like kind of a flashback with some narration over it, they're like commenting on it, like giving commentary, like, oh, he's so handsome. And like everyone kind of chimes in and occasionally even kind of appear on screen and stuff. It's really, really cool. Um, so the aunt, uh, had a fiance, but he left to fight in the war and never returned. Uh, since then, she's been living alone, but occasionally giving piano lessons uh, to the people of the town that she lives in. Um, so when the girls arrive, they come across a creepy watermelon seller who points them to the house where Auntie lives. Uh, they come to the house and, and meet Auntie. She's in a wheelchair and very sickly. Uh, the cat is, and this is where we kind of get the idea that the cat is actually hers. It like jumps right into her lap and is very comfortable with her. Um, and strange things start to happen as soon as they enter the property. Uh, Fantasy, who who's the imaginative young lady, like swears she sees the cat's eyes twinkle and and that her camera just jumps right out of her hand, smashing it on the ground. Also, 
when they enter the house, there's like a chandelier that suddenly comes loose, skewering a lizard. <laughs> Super um, funny. Yeah. Like like everything in this movie is like I couldn't I couldn't call it scary at all. Yeah. It's just no, totally. it's just supremely hilarious. Uh yeah, yeah. I think they 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 uh there's something that they mentioned that any old cat can open a door and I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be a plot device later." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but no cat can close it, I think is the uh Yeah, the only a witch can close it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Um <laughs> They explore the house uh, when an- and Auntie recounts uh, that the village was once full of people and girls would come to her house all the time to learn piano. But this is no longer the case. The, the, the village is sort of empty at this point. Uh, and it's been a long time since she's had any visitors. Uh, Mac puts the watermelon that she bought from the cellar in a well to cool it and they prepare dinner. Exhausted, Auntie does not join them for dinner, and when Mac runs out to the backyard to retrieve the watermelon, she does not return. Fantasy is concerned, and they're all kind of just like, ah, don't worry about it, everything's fine. Uh, But she runs off to look for Mac and pulls up the watermelon from the well. However, she pulls out Mac's decapitated head uh, from the well, which calls out to her and flies through the air, (laughs) uh, biting her on the butt. And uh, this is, this, I feel like, this is the first bit of horror that we see, mm-hmm. and I feel like it really is telling uh, where I think that the way they make up Mac's face, where it's very kind of grayish and kind of gross, like looks good and looks kind of scary, but there's no way that the scene could be described as scary because she's like giggling and, and, and it ends with this like punchline of her like biting <laughs> fantasy right on the rear, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah uh... <laughs> Like I thought for a second that oh this could be scary and then no it starts flying around and <laughs> it's it's very silly and so yeah yeah so the girls run to fantasy who's screaming and uh, but when they search the well they just find the watermelon uh, she must be imagining things again uh, Auntie finally joins them and looks a lot healthier healthier she gets out of her wheelchair and tells them that they are giving her energy. Um, a great there's this great scene after this point where they're eating the watermelon together and auntie's like winking at fantasy and, and opens her mouth to reveal an eyeball in her mouth <laughs> uh, that really a, that really weird like crunchy sound fully like, <laughs> yeah 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 there's that's definitely like there's a questionable whether or not all the girls are actually in reality eating max head uh, at that point Oh but, um, it's, yeah, that's something I noticed by the way, and I know, and I know uh, nobody cares about Mac. Like nobody yeah. gives a shit. Like <laughs> they're just like, I wonder where she is. Yeah. Huh. Oh no, you know, Mac pro- ran off on her own to buy a watermelon. Maybe she's she's off somewhere. <laughs> Maybe she's at the potato fields because she loves baked potatoes. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she's been gone for five hours. It's okay. She's eating baked potatoes somewhere. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna be so worried what- about that creepy frog frog like watermelon seller at all he's <laughs> oh real- yeah no he's he's totally uh above the board totally cool like i'm gonna keep reiterating this as we're going through but these girls are morons like <laughs> they are completely completely dense yeah as to this right yeah, so, yeah we, we can definitely get back to that at one point when the, <laughs> when uh prof has her like genius reveal mm-hmm, for something yeah um so what basically follows at this point is just the girls being picked off one by one. Uh, they're devir- devoured by the house and, and essentially being uh, also eaten by the auntie. Uh, first is Sweet, 
who is cleaning and walks into a room where she's attacked by cushions. <laughs> and so all that's left of her is clothing. Yeah. And uh, Kung Fu uh, at this point is attacked by firewood, but she manages to fight them off because she's a total badass. Um, she's Kung Fu is awesome. She's my favorite. Yeah. Um, all of her scenes are amazing. Like, yeah. it's super, like, tokusatsu-esque, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like, martial arts style. Yeah, I've I've definitely uh, had been accused of of preferring her because she's running around in her underwear for most of the movie. But I would also say that it's awesome that at least one of the girls is able to kind of like kick butt. You know, she's the only useful yeah. one in the entire movie. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> so there's this uh, strange scene uh, following this point of gorgeous going into Auntie's room and seeing herself as her aunt in the mirror. Uh, there's this cool effect where this her skin is flaking off. And her sil- uh, only her silhouette remains, but it's, like, filled with flames. Um, this is basically a transformation sequence as she's being possessed uh, by her aunt. With Sweet and Mac missing, uh, the girls are finally starting to get scared. <laughs> uh, but they find solace in the fact that Mr. Togo will surely be arriving soon. Uh, they find Gorgeous and suggest that they call the police. Gorgeous is acting strange at this point. Uh, and and picks up the phone, and there's this kind of interesting effect where we hear the screams of, I assume, the previous victims of the house trying to call for help coming from the phone. Uh, and, and Gorgeous just says that the phone is down. Um, and she leaves the house, and suddenly all the doors begin to lock everyone inside. Um, Melody plays the piano as they assess the situation, and they hear Gorgeous back in the house, uh, and Prof and Kung Fu leave to find her leaving only fantasy and melody. And so at this point, if you're following along, you, you kind of are saying, well, if it's only fantasy and melody, that means melody is doomed. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, in one of the crazier scenes, I would definitely say melody is eaten by the piano. There's cartoon sparks, a dancing skeleton, disembodied parts of melody floating around as they continue to play piano. This is uh, some really good stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that is yeah. uh, out of everything in the movie. I noted this as the the by far the strangest scene, and that's mm-hmm. saying a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's just a lot going on. I love I love all the sort of like 2D effects of the like cartoon sparks and stuff. She uh, so dumb. Like as soon as her fingers are eaten, she's like, "Ara, my fingers are eaten." <laughs> and, and then and then it's only when her hand is gone that she starts screaming. I like a thing I really like about that actress uh, that plays Melody is we were kind of when I was watching this a, f- a few days ago, the people I was watching it with were noting that she's kind of the weirdest one of the bunch. She keeps doing a creepy voice, uh, even when it's sort of inappropriate. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, she's a, she's a fun actress. She get, um, Yeah, she also gets real weird about like uh, certain things and finding the underpants. Mm-hmm. When they go find where Sweet disappeared, and it's, she's just a weird character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she even kind of calls out the the upskirts shot of her being eaten by the piano. She like sees it and is kind of calling out the audience yeah, she's and like, director. This is nasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Prof and Kung Fu find Gorgeous wearing Auntie's would be bridal gown, and she walks off, uh, leaving behind uh, the this journal. And they explore, uh, and they see Sweet in the gears of the clock, uh, bleeding. And what I'd say is kind of the actually the spookiest, creepiest scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, these sort of blood filling up this this transparent clock. Um, I mean, until the prof- blood turns green for some reason. Oh well, yeah. And then <laughs> it can't ever be too uh, straightforward for too long. 
and so Kung Fu and Prof and uh, Fantasy reconvene, and Prof reads from Auntie's journal. She, uh, Auntie writes of being alone now that the village is empty and how she will continue to wait for her fiancé to return from the war. Uh, suddenly, Gorgeous appears as a giant head, <laughs> and she's uh, filling them in with sort of more of the backstory uh, where we hear, uh, we find out that Auntie is a ghost who eats unmarried girls. And then this is when everything goes, like, totally nuts. Walls are moving, stuff is flying around, lights are flashing. Kung Fu is, of course, like, handily fighting off debris, and goes off to try the phone, uh, kind of at this point, assuming that Gorgeous was lying about it being out of order. The phone attacks her, and she totally, like, wrecks it with a flying kick. <laughs> and uh, and and she fights a mummy briefly, <laughs> and then goes outside uh, and does this full-on battle with the bridal ghost, um, which is pretty cool. Now, uh, was that, like, she has uh, an umbrella for, like, half a second. Is that a Lady Snowblood reference? Uh, I kind of, she does a sort of kabuki-esque pose, and I think it was just a sort of, like, kabuki kind of kung fu uh, she says things, she but... s- says something that sounds like a catchphrase that seems like that ha- I felt like that had to be a reference to something that I just did not get. Yeah, it very well could have been po- possibly Lady Snowblood. I'm not sure. Uh, that's interesting. Um, so Prof deduces uh, from the journal that the white cat is the key to defeating the ghost. And somehow, uh, instru- somehow, yeah, right. Like, it's, it's it's never fully explained. Like, oh, just <laughs> destroy the cat. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, the cat's. You know, the cat's obviously important. There's weird, badly painted portraits of it all over the house. <laughs> and, uh, I noted that this cat, this uh, this house has more cat pictures than the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Uh, there's uh, a particular. Sus- particularly uh, suspicious portrait of the cat with glowing eyes uh, that they kind of point their attention to. Uh, However, Kung Fu is attacked by a lamp, which uh, both electrocutes her and swallows her into the house uh, where she sees her dead friends as well as all the rest of the house's victims in this really, really cool sequence of her being uh, gobbled up inside the house. Uh, There's bright flashing lights and characters inserted on moving backgrounds and hand-drawn faces and Kung Fu's head floating around. It's, it's, re- it's really neat. Um, and the cat <clears throat> portrait at this point morphs into the sort of more iconic image that uh, one might recognize from, like, the DVD cover or posters and stuff uh, of this demonic uh, smiling cat. Um, and But in a last bit of determination, Kung Fu uh, continues to be awesome, and her <laughs> lower half flies out of the... Um, lamp and uh, kicks the cat portrait, kicking it right in the face. Uh, this seems to upset the ghost uh, who starts bleeding and everything goes totally more nuts. Blood covers the bridal ghost and the cat portrait starts spitting this like stream, this like hose of blood. Blood is coming out of uh, things like the drawers and the tatami mats that they're on start splitting apart, revealing this kind of like giant pool of blood underneath prof and fantasy it should be noted uh, that the blood just looks like kool-aid oh yeah totally yeah. <laughs> it's like it, it, the viscosity is not that of blood nor is the color that of blood it's it's like worse than than like when you see somebody get decapitated in a samurai movie 
Yeah, it's interesting because there is a sort of standard in like your Lady Snowbloods and and Zatoichi's where it looks like paint, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, and this it's very much more transparent. There's a part where when um, Max Head is decapitated, she like barfs up the of uh, what might be blood, but it might just be some <laughs> blood soaked water because it, it's very it does look like Kool Aid. It's watermelon sure. juice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're on a giant thing of watermelon juice instead of blood. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> that, that would make sense. That's why the watermelon yeah, yeah. cellar is right there. It, it like, fits. <laughs> the house was built on an ancient Indian watermelon burial ground. <laughs> <laughs> so this is at the point where they finally realize that Togo is not going to show up. Um, and they cite the fact that he did not make a promise to the house uh, or to the ant that they'd come as Gorgeous had promised that they would visit, uh, which is an interesting idea. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Mr. Togo finally arrives in town. He stops by the watermelon seller, who is totally unhelpful. Uh, He (laughs) tells the watermelon man that he does not like watermelons and would prefer bananas, which for some reason seems to turn the watermelon man into a skeleton. And uh, But Togo, seeing this, goes mad and hops back into his buggy, repeating, banana, banana, banana. (laughs) <laughs> uh, boy yeah so good um and back at the house uh prof is pulled into the sea of blood or watermelon juice uh and is devoured by the house finally uh leaving only fantasy um floating on the tatami mat uh she sees gorgeous descending uh the stairs and rows over to her kind of hoping in a one last ditch effort that maybe this is, is all a dream or something <laughs> and she's reaching out to Gorgeous uh, for help, and Gorgeous switches back and forth between her uh, form and her aunties and finally pulls Fantasy in. And now, the next day, or or skip ahead to a sunny day, um, we see Gorgeous's stepmother-to-be, Ryoko, arriving at the watermelon stand. Uh, here we see a pile of bananas sitting in Togo's dune buggy, wearing his hat. And glasses. So, uh, <laughs> and glasses. And and he's got, like, uh, his hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so uh, I can't believe, like, this movie. Like, I, I honestly don't... I can't process it, even now. <laughs> and I've yeah, seen yeah. some whacked-out movies, man. Like, yeah, when you tell someone that this movie is crazy, I think they kind of have a different idea of what a crazy movie is. It's it's sort of different than this. So this yeah. is a lot more cartoony uh, than your usual crazy horror movie, which is usually like gory and stuff. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll get to that. Um, so the the Ryoko uh, makes her way to the auntie's house, and where she is greeted by Gorgeous, who seems particularly serene and peaceful. Uh, Ryoko ask, w- asks where Gorgeous's friends are, and she replies that they are asleep, but they'll be up soon, and when they get up, they'll be hungry. Roll credits to uh, shots of the cast dancing around in fields and the cartoon house literally eating the credits and spitting them out of its chimney. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> and then we pan out to all the girls in the house right after waking up from their LSD trip. (laughs) (laughs) And then the real movie starts. (laughs) Yeah, so a few things I want to highlight about this movie. I think one of the things that people are quick to point out, which I think is an important note, is that House is co-written by an 11-year-old girl. What? Um, Yeah. Obayashi uh, was approached by Toho to create a movie 
uh, similar to Jaws uh, because of the success of Jaws. And he consulted his daughter, uh, Chibumi Obayashi, uh, and she came up with the concept of a house that eats girls and drew on several of her own fears, uh, coming up with ideas like the based on like the creepy clock in her grandparents' house and a head in the well in place of a watermelon and fingers getting caught uh, between piano keys and things like that. There's actually way more uh, instances that you can read about on Wikipedia and stuff of things that are were actually her her ideas that he like uh, he instructed the screenwriter to put into the movie. Wow, um, uh, you know that's uh, <laughs> I'm not so I actually want to see Hollywood do this a lot. I think it'd be really funny to like just have a a movie where like you get a screenwriting credit to like a five year old. Yeah. It's like Axe Cop, right? Yeah, I mean, like, actually, actually, yeah. yeah. I was about to say it, it, this is this is like Axe Cop. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah in yeah. an interview, he he talked about how he always likes to consult with children on any major decisions to be able to see it through a unique set of eyes that aren't just the same boring human eyes. <laughs> so, and that's why he he ran it by his daughter. Yeah, it's great, and like it took year, it took two years uh, after the conception of this movie for it to actually get made. Um, and uh, I think Ed, our, our friend Ed, who co-hosts the One Piece podcast, had highlighted uh, a, a quote from Wikipedia where uh, Toho had decided uh, that audiences were through with comprehensible films. And so they picked House kind of back out of their pile of scripts because it was as incomprehensible as things <laughs> go. <laughs> That's incredibly accurate. I would compare this movie to like it, it. This movie is so seventies that it hurts. Yeah, like I I'd compare it to um the Bee Gees Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie. If you've mm-hmm. ever seen that, it's it's basically like so they made a movie called Across the Universe a couple years ago. Julie Taymor. I actually hate that movie yeah. because mm-hmm. I'm a Same. tremendous fan of the Beatles, and I think it's just like oh let's just build a story around titles of Beatles songs, which is completely dumb. Uh, but uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was like made in the 70s, and it's basically that, and it's way more cracked out. Like it's sure. it's completely bonkers. And yeah, or that um, that monkeys movie Head. Uh, I could definitely see comparisons between this and that as well. Yeah, like I don't know what Which happened it, in the 70s. Oh, I guess it was drugs. It was probably yeah. drugs, actually. <laughs> Lots of drugs. Um, yeah, it kind of exists on a on a continuum between those kinds of like weird experimental like things like that and then like Suspiria and mm-hmm. Argento stuff with like it's it doesn't embrace the kind of suspense, horror, and gore the same way, but it definitely ha- takes – has a lot of the same kind of sensibilities and really unusual framing of shots and yes. and wild colors and everything. Yeah, the bright colors definitely yeah. is like Suspiria. Uh, speaking of it being 70s, as all get out, uh, I wanted to highlight a couple references to 70s pop culture. Um, they These particularly delight me. <laughs> uh, first, uh, when, these are both on t- uh, Mr. Togo's journey. Um, they kind of cut to scenes of him moving along, trying to get to the house. And uh, there's a scene where he's stuck in traffic, and there is totally a Bunta Sugawara lookalike screaming out the window of a well-decorated trunk uh, truck, <laughs> uh, which is definitely a reference to Momojiro uh, from Chuck Yaro. He's got the star on his shirt and everything. Wait, that wasn't um, Bunta? No. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. He looks, he looks, looks a lot he like looks him. He looks ridiculously yeah. no. a lot like him. 
he looks he looks yeah they found a really good lookalike and then kind of along those same lines uh in later in the noodle shop which is a great one of my favorite scene transitions is like this dude just sticks his face into the screen and is eating noodles and then we cut to this noodle shop that has a bear in it uh working behind the counter and uh and togo is speaking with a man who is doing a pretty good impression of uh kiyoshi yatsumi uh, just as his character torasan so i would say that while the uh man playing uh momojiro uh looks a lot like is an excellent look-alike for bunta sugawara this guy doesn't really look uh like torasan but he does a good vocal impression for sure yeah he definitely sounds like him but i was like that's that's not that's not torasan but no, I, but but you know I, I get what they're doing. What's the deal with the bear? I don't know. I don't know if that's a Japanese culture thing. You know, the, I feel like the more I dig into this movie, the more times I watch it, the more things start to make sense. <laughs> and so I, I I start to think that things are less like random than they seem at first. So it's very possible that someone could be like, oh yeah. Uh, Ramen shops always have the st- statue of bear for some reason. He decided it'd be funny if there was a bear working at the shop or something. I don't know. It's, it, um, I... In in the interview he does where he's talking about the conception of the film and why he talked to his daughter, he, he mentions that if the studio really wanted him to do something that was just like Jaws, the the regular like adult brain extension of that would be like, well, they did a they did a shark attack, so we'll do bear attacks. So I think maybe that was like something that had just been rattling around in the back of his mind. He was like, we should just put a bear in this. Yeah, there we go. Put a bear on it. Uh, it it's funny you mention that like the more you watch this movie, the more it makes sense. I have that exact same thing with Zardoz. Uh, oh. Like I've seen yeah. Zardoz like three times and that movie is completely comprehensible to me now. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think uh, I think something to talk about with this movie. I think it's easy to to say like, wow, yeah, definitely experimental. But I think actually something that's very telling is the fact that the most of his career up to this point was working in TV commercials, which are these sort of like short, you know, minute long spots where you throw whatever you can to grab people's attention, and every scene is kind of like that, mm-hmm. where there's this like short scene that he throws crazy camera tricks and 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 effects and things that aren't even necessarily relevant but they grab your attention you know and it's definitely directed with that sort of like commercial tv commercial mentality yeah like at, at points like the characters faces are framed by like a a weird sort of screensaver-esque thing you know <laughs> yeah um, another little like kind of fun fact thing that's pretty brief uh, that I wanted to talk about is that there is a single chapter manga adaptation um, that is that ran in a, an issue of uh, Shonen Magazine back in the day, and I had forgotten actually to uh, look too deep in this, so I, I can't recall the artist's name or anything. But it's a pretty fun. Uh, I got a copy of it. A, a friend of mine in Japan uh, sent me a copy, which is really awesome. And it's an interesting adaptation. Uh, the cartoonist does a really good job of like making all the girls distinct. Uh, that's something that you can sort of do in cartoons. The the characters look a lot more uh, distinct, and he'll get like Sweet has blonde hair, and Mac is actually a lot more pudgy and stuff. Um, and it basically kind of just focuses mostly on once they get to the house and each of the girls' deaths and stuff. But there's interesting things like the cat is totally left out of it. And uh, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting thing to see someone try to tear uh, pare down <laughs> tear down uh, pare down this 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 movie into a you know like twenty page story or whatever it is. 
uh, jumping off that, there's actually uh, so even though the studio didn't have a lot of confidence in the movie because it was such a weird thing, they did this like multimedia blitz ahead of it. So like years before the movie was out, they were putting out promotional materials like. Uh, most of the the young girl actresses in the movie were, like you said earlier, models. And so they did a lot of, like, photo shoots of them in character and, like, glamour shots, uh, filters and whatnot, and mm-hmm. released, the, uh, released the soundtrack ahead of the movie, which uh, we need to talk about the music at some point. Yeah, um, so let's – oh, do you want to – go ahead and – This jump. mountain of, of materials pre-release trying to hype people up for a movie that they were like nobody's going to see this yeah i think that's what's something that's really interesting i think that that's like that cartoon version of the house that's kind of in the title sequence and in the um credits at the end i think comes from that where they weren't exactly sure what the movie was going to be yet and so weirdly enough as much as everything seems like totally crazy like i feel like it doesn't quite fit uh there's they they stand out in a weird way that that drawing of the house but um, yeah, let's talk about the soundtrack. Um, uh, yeah, so the soundtrack is composed by uh, Ase Kobayashi, who had previously worked with Obayashi in his commercial work. Um, and there are songs uh, contributed by Godaigo, uh, the pop co- uh, the pop group. And so that's the music that we were talking about at the beginning. This like pop song while they're going by the shoe shop and everything. important to this film and um, there's rarely a scene where there isn't music playing uh, and even when it is and playing it's often very prominent uh, before we really talk about it too much I do want to mention that um, Kobayashi the composer appears as the watermelon man and Godaigo are in it as well I think they are the kids at the train station that's kind of like saying yeah they're, uh, they're standing up against that like blue sky background and one of them is actually wearing a Godaigo t-shirt when they Very walk good. by so um yeah obayashi wanted the movie to appeal to young people and to feel young and so i think that was uh his his thinking in uh incorporating Godaigo and and getting this sort of like 70s pop music in to to make the movie feel hip you know um any thoughts on the music that we haven't <laughs> a lot about? of it so oh, after you uh, I was going to say, like, uh, a lot of different characters have their own theme songs that show up whenever mm-hmm. they're on screen. Togo has his own music. Uh, Kung Fu, whenever she starts doing <laughs> Kung Fu stuff, has her own little tune. thing i wanted to point out was the the like main theme song from this that is just is a constant refrain throughout most of the movie the one that uh melody plays on the piano mm-hmm. 
just reminds me a lot of the Twin Peaks theme, and I'm wondering, like, if it was possibly an influence on that sort of thing, or, or, uh, maybe had any, any, uh, yeah, lasting effect. That's interesting. It's the one song in the entire, in the entire soundtrack that actually did, like, legit creep me out and set the stage, uh, mm-hmm for like you know what i guess you're supposed to be feeling during this movie but i thought a lot of the music is grossly inappropriate for <laughs> yeah. the scenes that they're featured in i'm like what is this movie like the set like it's like it's like not only did an 11 year old have a, a screenwriting credit but maybe like placement of the soundtrack too there's and, often two songs playing at different tempos on top yes, of each other yeah i had no idea yeah, what that so was weird. about like i i couldn't tell if like if i was if my phone was going off or something like that like what is happening <laughs> yeah uh you know the obayashi is fearless uh in making this movie which is one of the things that's amazing about it is that uh <laughs> first that it got made in general but just like uh you know he uh he really really went for it and yeah and i i love that about it i mean it's really just an extension of the same kind of like a super busy visual style that he also, I guess, decided to have a super super busy musical style and have them overlapping and stuff. Do you know what yeah. this? You know what this movie felt like? It felt like watching the Mr. Sparkle, uh, <laughs> yeah, commercial from The Simpsons. Yeah, like, it's like every sort of stereotype about like crazy Japanese media, like or whatever. And I've seen Japanese commercials, but like only from the '90s. I have no idea what they were like in the '70s. <laughs> and and I can uh, I can like kind of tell also that like. Like it makes sense when once you to, once you said that like oh yeah I made commercials and stuff I'm like now everything starts to make sense because all like this the uh, quote unquote special effects are either you know really bad well not bad but like weird animation uh, mm-hmm. overlaid or bad green screen with stuff floating around like it was just cut and pasted like oh mm-hmm. it seems like this is an ad for for corn chips or something <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I would. Uh... When you get a chance, uh, check out the Toho Yaro Twitter account where I had retweeted a video uh, of the Mansum commercial that I was talking about with with Charles Bronson. You can see what some of his commercial work looks like. Uh, it's pretty nutty, uh, as you as you might <laughs> imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, I had first seen House. Actually, my my first experience with House was as a series of YouTube clips. Um, I before the DVD had come out and it was available in any way in the US um uh, um I you know a few friends of mine and I had sort of like passed around these videos uh from what I recall were like the piano eating scene and the scene at the end with the cat uh spewing blood um and I was totally obsessed with these and I looked for the movie uh in the sort of bootleg channels and and didn't find it anywhere um and so when Criterion made the announcement that they were releasing it, I was totally pumped. And I was like, I need to know what this movie is. <laughs> and I pre-ordered it totally like sight unseen with no, no, not really much knowledge of the movie other than seeing these scenes, which is un- uh, unusual for me. Usually there's at least more research that goes in, but I was just so curious. Um, and I had assumed that, a lot of times what the case is with horror movies is you hear about a horror movie's one or two good scenes, you know, and you're kind of like the rest of the movie's kind of dull, but it leads up to these payoff scenes. So I, I had, I had, uh, you know, prepared myself for some disappointment or for some sort of dull moments. Uh, but I really, really wanted to see it and see everything in context. Um, 
And so I got the movie in the mail and gathered uh, a small group of friends to watch it around Halloween. And we were just all totally blown away <laughs> by like how <laughs> consistently nuts it is. As I was saying, the, that scene at the shoe store with Togo falling in a bucket is like when I was like, all right, I have no idea what to expect from this movie. And it's not going to be just a dull slog with some like icing on top. You know, when I saw Ryoko, the stepmother introduced, there's this crazy scene of her her um, scarf blowing in the wind, <laughs> and it's just shot in this very dramatic way. And I remember thinking, like, okay, something is up with her. She is creepy. She's a ghost. And it's like, no, it's just this is how we're depicting that she's a beautiful young lady, is that she gets dramatic music anytime she enters, and wind is constantly blowing on her flowing clothes and stuff. Yeah, she's just high um, all the time. Like, it's, yeah. it's the 70s. Yeah. Um, that's a really nice thing about the fact that the movie has, like, no sense of pacing whatsoever, is that every scene is free to be, like, the center of attention of the whole movie. Mm. So uh, even up front, like the the most boring parts of the movie, I would argue, are the uh, the like first two scenes, uh, and even even those like you, it starts out with this kind of boring school scene, but you're still getting well. It starts out with a uh, with them doing that weird like video shoot of her of a in the science dressed lab. up like a witch or something oh yeah that was weird but, i completely forgot about that it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie yeah no it uh, just starts out to be like "Ooh, here's a scary scene no it's just playing around in school but uh even that transitions into like them like the weird montage of them saying goodbye to each other with the iris close-ups and everything and I, <laughs> the first time i watched it i was just going what is going on <laughs> and and then like you said the scene when the when the, she goes home and that porch set is ridiculous and the way that oh they my keep God. filming it through the through the windows and the weird framing and refractions and everything like every single part of this movie has something visually interesting going on even if like plot wise nothing is happening yeah yeah it's something i really uh scott do you remember the first time you saw the movie like yeah, what the circumstances yeah. were uh it was it was at your house we were watching it uh ahead of Halloween. I think you had seen it at this point and some, some other folks had, uh, but you had invited me and, uh, and Amy, my wife and a couple other friends from Atlanta to come up and watch it. And like, I had an idea of what the film was about, but like the, <laughs> the, once it started, like I said, I was real mystified. And then by the time it got to the, the uh, scene where, Togo gets the bucket stuck on his butt. I was like, <laughs> I understand what this is now, and I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Alex, I this is your first time seeing it. And I, I'm curious, like, Scott and I both saw it relatively when it was still in its sort of, like, infancy in the English-speaking world, uh, besides probably some people who are, like, super in the know. Uh, and I was a little worried that it had been built up too much for you. Because you'd probably heard a lot that it was like this really nuts movie. Uh, what was your experience seeing seeing it? Okay, so I didn't know anything about the movie other than there's probably a cat in it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all I knew. That's all I knew about the movie. Um, and a lot of people like have it on their like list of favorite movies. I'm like, that's really weird. Um, I had to probably watch this at some point. I was not prepared for it, how whacked out this movie was like whenever like i usually like i've seen a good chunk of takashi miki's catalog and that guy mm -hmm. is bizarre 
Yeah. So I've seen some really weird stuff, and I've like gotten used to that. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see what a Japanese horror movie is like in the 1970s, because you know I'm I'm more used to stuff like you know Ringu or The Grudge, uh, and I'm not actually particularly a fan of that genre myself. Um, but I was very interested to see what like you know a a Halloween era uh, Japanese movie would be like, you know, like Japanese horror. Jesus, I was not prepared at all. Like, you should see my notes. I, like, the letters WTF are all over the my notes. Like, every, like, every, like, maybe every 20 minutes, I'm like, what is this movie? What am I watching? Like, Yeah, what, this is why what? I love to, like, watch it with people who've never seen it before. Oh, God, I, you would have been, like, you would have been, I think you would have been tickled pink if you were. Like, yeah. I, th- I think also what, what surprised me, uh, what really surprised me was the, uh, the, the excess of uh, female nudity in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of I'm it. Pretty sure just about every uh, female character is nude eventually, or at least like parts of in them, underwear and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like dismembered parts. <laughs> it's- mm-hmm. That was something that struck me the first time I watched too. Like once, uh, like even uh, Mac when she's first running around it has a romper where her butt is just basically <laughs> hanging out the back of it. And then Kung Fu switches in underpants, and then later there's just like full on here are some boobs. I was like, this is real weird, but I like I don't know how keeping that is with the rest of like, uh, like the nascent model and idol culture going on in Japan at the time. Yeah, it mm-hmm. didn't. It didn't really. It just. It didn't like. It didn't take anything away from the movie for me, other than like, oh, well, I guess this is the seventies, and yeah, it's kind of a just another element of what makes it odd you know it doesn't seem particularly sexual like it doesn't i mean it obviously is there's you know there didn't have to be a bath scene there didn't have to no, be yeah. this that that but like it doesn't ever linger on it in a creepy way i guess i don't know it's it's interesting it's just it's very it's treated very nonchalantly which i think is is actually a product of its time like the 1970s were uh like there was, it was a huge a huge uh huge boom when it came to uh sexual content in film all over Mm -hmm. the world and um i you know i guess this movie is no no exception yeah for sure um i mean i you know in general i absolutely love this film this is probably my favorite horror movie uh not just japanese just period uh i admittedly don't really like horror movies well there you Uh, go (laughs) you know but like i don't like um this is hard to exactly describe. I I love around Halloween time watching old horror movies and kind of weird old horror movies because I don't actually like feeling tense and I don't really like uncomfortable stuff uh, so much as I love just seeing cool monsters and creepy ideas and stuff. And this is just like filled with that sort of like fun, all the trappings of a monster movie, but it's just like purely fun. And uh, yeah, I watch it. I watch it every Halloween, um, and I try to watch it with people if possible. Um, a thing about Obayashi is he he pulls out every trick in his book, as I mentioned mentioned from his like commercial work, and and like um, it's it's just I just think it's kind of perfect in the way that it's it's you know not perfect in the way that a lot of movies one would describe as perfect, but like. Uh, I just really love it, and it's so fun to watch. Uh, it's and it's like we keep saying, it's incredibly dense with jokes and references and clues to things that pay off, like in multiple viewings, uh, that actually relate to the plot and stuff, not just sort of like 
random random things. I think every single time I watch it, I find uh, something new. Um, um, I want to point out that okay, uh, go ahead. Both the director and the screenwriter, when when talking about this movie, uh, make sure to say that like it's referenced as as being a horror film, but when they created it their idea wasn't to make a a horror film not even in the same way as like jaws in the sense that they didn't care about suspense or anything they just wanted to tell a a fantasy story about ghosts and so like with that mindset that's why there's like even the the more horrifying quote scenes in the movie are kind of like fanciful and silly and the entire time that like melody's getting eaten by the by the uh piano it's she's laughing which is both unsettling but like also puts a little bit of levity into the scene and then you have like her her actually commenting on seeing her legs being eaten that that that's naughty and like there's always levity in these scenes so it's not about suspense or the horror it's about just like having this kind of magical uh, uh setting where something uh, kind of menacing is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that 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 uh, what what we had been talking about him pulling in this pop music group to make it kind of appeal to young people has something to do with that too. Everything kind of feels youthful and energetic. Yeah, there really are no slow scenes in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Bringing up the pacing again, like it's very like it held my attention the entire movie. Uh, yeah. Which is, I mean, like naturally when a movie's that whacked out, yes, of course it's going to, but it, just stupid stuff just kept happening at like an alarming rate and I couldn't stop watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Even scenes uh, that would be like exposition scenes or something, or just meeting our characters are shot in a way that it's interesting slash confusing it, it's, <laughs> to watch. So, it, you know, it was like an anime. It was like a live action anime. Like <laughs> yeah. they're, they're all named, yeah, yeah. like they named things that nobody's named ever. Like, Oh, <laughs> my name is sweet. And this is, this is fantasy. And this is, you know, well, I mean, Mac is obviously a, it was obviously like a, a nickname, but like nobody has an actual name. It's, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an anime. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex, do you have a particular favorite part of the film that you'd like to highlight? Good gravy. I have so many, <laughs> so many, um, well, I love, I love the, I love the nobody else put me song with the bucket and the shoemaker, mm-hmm. like that. That was so good. Um, when they get on the train, uh, Mac is like going through all the stuff that she brought with her. She's like chocolate candy, love, and dreams. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, is that the red yeah. pill or the orange one? Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, oh yeah, the first time I laughed out loud at the movie was when they go, like, up to the house and a falcon just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> just for, like, it just flies, and they're like, ah, and then that's it. Like, they never revisit that. Like, it's, it's just, it just happens for no reason, and it was, and it's, like, it's clearly just, like, a stuffed falcon or a model or something like that. It's it's extremely yeah. fake. Um, uh, oh, actually, <laughs> uh, when, they're, when, she's, when Auntie is taking them through the house, like in the wheelchair and mm-hmm. like the, the cat's somehow missing like the cat i guess supposed to jump in her lap but it's clearly just thrown off off camera onto <laughs> yeah, her i got that in my notes too yeah so i love like, it i love that so much like there's actually a scene in uh 
the live action Crow Marty high school movie, which who knows, maybe someday we'll cover, uh, where there's a cat that's supposed to jump on scene and it's obviously someone just throwing it from off off the the, the screen. And I love I love that. Yeah. Uh, OK, <laughs> well, I guess if I were to like uh, I wrote this down, like with exclamation points, the fight scene between uh, Kung Fu and uh, I guess the house or auntie, like I guess she's mm-hmm. in Gorgeous's body at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, I yeah, thought, I was calling it the bridal ghost because at that point it's kind of just yeah I don't know yeah yeah I, I thought that was cool and I was like man is this thing the climax of the movie this is pretty sweet yeah um, yeah I thought that was very I thought that was a very cool thing uh, I wasn't expecting any of that I wasn't expecting kung fu as a character that she honestly made the movie way more like way more interesting way more exciting for me just because of all the really corny martial arts yeah. Um, I, I do want to say at the end of that fight when she kind of like disengages and rolls back through the door into the house and it shuts behind her, that is probably like the slickest shot <laughs> in the entire yeah. uh, in the entire movie. Just like no big deal. Her doing that in one in, in just this smooth move and the door sh- shutting behind her is just so good looking. Yeah, yeah. While while we're calling out uh, sort of minutia in funny little shots that we love, I wanna I wanna definitely mention the part where. They're in the kitchen, and the aunt suddenly goes inside the refrigerator. Oh my god! Uh, behind their backs, and they're like, "Where did she go?" And then she appears in the rafters above. I just like, I just love that every time. I'm like, "There she goes in the refrigerator." Yep. <laughs> what was weird was that like she's then like kind of walking like a cat. I'm like, "Is she the cat?" Yeah. And then she kind of mugs at the of. camera, like, it, "Well, like I, I thought to myself, is she the cat?" And then she turns and looks at the camera as if to say. I don't know, man. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> um, Scott, yeah. do you have anything that you could uh, isolate as your favorite element of the movie? Uh, well, the the one you just described is actually my favorite scene where she uh, crawls into the refrigerator and then oh, looks no. at the camera and starts <laughs> dancing around. Um, I, I just love that she just looks straight at the audience <laughs> and smiles. But uh, I, to pick something different, I actually love when uh, Melody is playing the piano and then you hear this kind of like uh, clacking sound in the background. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I watched the movie, Kung Fu was definitely my favorite character. But I think upon repeat viewing, my new favorite character is the like fake plastic skeleton <laughs> that shows up in the background constantly. And in that scene, he's just sitting there grooving out, dancing around, and nobody ever notices or pays attention to it. And it's just he's just like dancing for the rest of the movie from that point on. It's so good. Uh, but that's one of those things where it's like there's just always something going on in the background, yeah. if not multiple things. Yeah, I uh, that's that's excellent. But I also like how the the house in general, like even when she's giving the tour, it's kind of like Pee Wee's Playhouse where stuff just keeps kind of moving on its own when nobody notices. <laughs> yeah, at the watermelon man's uh, place, there's a watermelon that has oh, yeah. that's cut in half, so it's kind of like a mouth, and it will occasionally laugh and stuff. Yeah, it actually oh, it's, what? it's got uh, like eyes and a nose carved in it too, like a jack o' lantern. I didn't notice that. A candle in it. Yeah, yeah, it's just in the background. They don't pay much attention to it. Um, yeah, I had a really harder time. You know, I don't always choose a scene. Uh, I like to choose like a character or like a, a a sort of element of the movie that I pick out as my favorite for these shows. But like, I had a really hard time with this one because there's just so much. You know, we've been talking about how Kung Fu is awesome, and she's definitely like. Um, what it would be my favorite character, and I I really love the like Truck Yaro and Torasan references, but I wouldn't say that's like my favorite part of the movie. 
uh, I think I just really, uh, really love and appreciate all the special effects and unique uh, techniques used in this movie. And a thing that I admire about them is that in a lot of old movies, they have crazy effects that are fun to watch, but they're definitely made due to the limitations of the time period. And that's definitely at work here. But I think that a lot of them were made with sort of an eye for aesthetics. And uh, I think it's really beautiful. I think a lot of these sort of like flat cartoon effects and like like when they go on the train, it becomes like a cartoon. And I just like think it's the train itself, I mean, is like this little animated sequence. And like, I just really think the movie is beautiful. And I admire that uh, the director was both working within the limitations, but also uh, just trying to make it look unique and awesome at all, at all times. Uh, that does remind me of, of another favorite thing of mine. We touched on it briefly earlier, but the scene where it transitions from Gorgeous telling about her aunt to it rolling like a film reel and then, then co- them commenting on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it first uh, transitions, it's, it's like, I guess... I guess, uh, post-World War One, and it's uh, real small and has this, like, uh, sepia wash to it. And then as it gets closer to World War Two, it transitions from the sepia to regular black and white. And then uh, later, post, uh, post-World post War II and post her losing her fiancé, it transitions to, like, a different kind of film, uh, slightly colorized film grain. And just, like, the subtlety of those changes as this is progressing through time, I thought it was really neat. And the way that they're actually narrating as if they're watching the flashback with the audience is just something that I thought was super cool. Yeah. I think that scene may be the sort of like kind of secret, most inventive uh, and artistic part of the movie. Cause it doesn't stand out as much as someone being eaten by a piano, but it like has a whole lot going on in it. That's really, really interesting. It's definitely also, I can't remember if it's, uh, in that scene or later, but there's there's part where she like crushes a rose in her fist, mm-hmm. and then the special effect for her hand bleeding is like paint on the actual film cell, and I yeah. love when whenever anybody does that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, shout out to the passenger on the ra- on the train reading a Frankenstein book with a big Frankenstein face on it because it's a horror movie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and he's across from a nun and a priest, which is super weird. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, this movie's so good. <laughs> oh, uh, I gotta hammer in the banana part, though. Um, okay, go for it. <laughs> that's probably my favorite scene in the movie, actually, because at, like it's close to the end of the movie, and I thought that this movie couldn't get any weirder. And nope, nope. Some <laughs> for some reason, skeleton and banana. He just goes banana crazy. He goes bananas. He literally yes. goes bananas. Which yeah, is they, which is uh, yeah. which is what I said. Yes, I messaged you yesterday. I said this movie is literally bananas. This movie is bananas. Yeah, it's a oh, god, the fucking banana. So good. Uh, should we go out on that note, or does anybody have anything uh, lingering that they wanted to talk about? Um, ooh, I kind of wanted to talk about the the title sequence with the mouth, the, tw- mm. the Twizzler's mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how. Uh, like that that was actually the creepiest part of the movie to me. I was like, "Oh man, this movie's going to be creepy." And <laughs> no, no it's not. But the mouth thing with like the hand falling out of it and the eye like looking out, like I I like how uh you know, that those were actual parts of the movie. Mhm. Like when, you know, Auntie's got the eyeball in her mouth and, you know, 
Hand, for some reason, like you see everybody just eating hands all the time. Like, what about yeah. what about what about feet? Don't like the feet. <laughs> like, what's wrong with eating feet? I mean, I guess you know they're probably stinky and they're walking people walking around all all, all the day. But you know, I, it's just hands. Is there something about the hands that give give you life, Auntie? I don't get it. She likes it. It's her favorite part. Yeah. Hands. She throws the feet to the cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, great. Well, I'm I'm I had a great time talking about this movie with you guys. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And <laughs> next month, having an excuse to rewatch it. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. This will probably do me for uh, it's close enough to Halloween that I that got my viewing in this year, but who knows? Uh, next month we are taking a complete uh, turn in in feel <laughs> for a movie. And uh, Scott, you want to talk about what we'll be watching next month? Uh, so next month we're going to be watching uh, Ikiru, which means to live. It's an Akira Kurosawa film from 1952, uh, starring our our good friend uh, Takashi Shimura, who you'll recognize as Dr. Yamane from Godzilla. Uh, it's a very kind of uh, maudlin movie about what it what it means to live and finding meaning in your life, and also the. Uh, crushing realities of bureaucracy and it's it's a very kind of like somber but moving film and couldn't be it's like hard to think of a more uh a, a bigger tone whiplash going from house <laughs> to this but uh but we'll try to manage it yeah we're creating an interesting mixtape uh with uh, um yeah our first kurosawa how about that yeah uh, and i think it might be his best actually mm. um but that's me. Um, this, for the time being, is available streaming on Hulu. Um, I believe through November or into November. So watch it as soon as you can. Otherwise, uh, it will be moving to Criterion's new streaming service, Filmstruck. So you might want to look into Filmstruck and subscribing there. Because, uh, I mean, there's going to be a lot of awesome movies that we'll probably eventually get to. Uh, that and we may, <laughs> we personally may have to move to that just because of that's where the things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But for now, if you're if you're staying uh, uh, up to date with Toho Yara, you got a chance to watch it uh, for free on Hulu. Um, Scott, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I am Vriska Chat on Twitter. V r i s k a c h a t. That's about the only place I am on Twitter right now. But check that out. Uh, I hope to be posting about a lot of my stuff I got from SPX there shortly. I just haven't had a, a chance since in the week since getting back. But uh, yeah, if you want to hear about what, what cool comics and sketchbooks I got there, uh, go look at it in the next couple of days. Cool. How about you, Alex? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at dude exclamation, all one word. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and uh, Vine and all of the other major social media outlets as well. Um, and you can also hear me on the One Piece podcast every week talking about One Piece. Yeah, you've been uh, recently promoted to host. Co-host. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was sort of already that, but now it's official, so it's great. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter and JoeyWeiser.tumblr.com is where I post news about uh, the stuff I do. I'm a cartoonist, um, author of a book series called Merman, um, a an all ages series about a fish boy getting into adventures. Um, and volumes one through four are available in hardcover and digitally now. Uh, volume one, uh, for a slightly cheaper price, is is available in softcover 
and the volume two soft cover is coming in December. Uh, so now is a great time to pre-order that, get it ready for your holiday gifts. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, two and three will be out in soft cover next year, as well as the uh, final volume in hardcover volume five. Um, Look for me signing at Richard's Comics uh, in Greenville, South Carolina for Halloween Comic Fest. They haven't uh, posted their schedule at the time of this recording for that, but um, you know, keep an eye out uh, on my Twitter and stuff, and I will definitely be talking about that. That's, uh, that's going to be a fun thing. And lastly, I would like everyone to follow Toho Yaro on Twitter. Uh, Toho Yaro, uh, we post images and fun bits of info and stuff uh, relating to the movies that we cover and other Japanese movie-related stuff. Uh, We talk about upcoming releases, like I've been tweeting a little bit uh, of stuff about the Lone Wolf and Cub uh, set that's coming up for Criterion, which I'm very excited about, Um, and uh, streaming news and things like that about like Criterion leaving Hulu. Um, So you could tweet at us uh, with feedback and questions for the show, uh, or email us at tohoyaro at gmail.com. Uh, and your questions might be read on the show. We're, I think we're going to eventually want to start doing kind of like reader feedback topics that are either relating to past movies or or just general movie topics or anything that you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, and we are also taking recommendations. Um, people have started to just say like, hey, if you like this movie, you might like this movie. And that's really exciting for us. Uh a thing that we like about the show is that the three of us are forcing each other to watch new movies that we hadn't seen before or had always been meaning to see or wanted to rewatch because we haven't seen it in a decade or whatever. Um, and and we're getting lots of great listener suggestions, which we're going to start dropping into our lineup next year. Um, and yeah, and rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, please uh, tell us what you think. And uh, yeah, it'd, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I think uh I think things that listener interaction has been uh really really great and rewarding. Uh we do this for fun <laughs> and uh knowing that other people are interested in this is is a good uh, motivator to keep us on track. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we like the engagement and it's good to know what you guys want so we can uh better shape the show to what you're after in it. So, yeah. For sure. Also feel free to ask us some cues and maybe we'll eventually do a Q&A on this show. Yeah. Who knows? Totally. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be fun. Um, I love talking about Japanese movies <laughs> and, and, and other stuff, too. Uh, so that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed uh, watching House. Uh, if you were a listener who's seen it for the first time, uh, congratulations. You've just had an experience. Um, <laughs> Feel free to tell us about that experience, too, because yeah. this is my first time, and boy, I have so much more to say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tune in next month for Ikiru. Ikiru.